So today we're continuing a series called The Chosen. We've been using some clips from the video series. I don't know if you've been watching online, but a lot of people have been asking me questions about it, and we'll show a clip today. Um, but understand that before I get started in this, that that series points us to read the Bible. That series points us to read the Gospels. Um, and please understand, if you do watch that series, that not everything in that series is, is like from the Bible. It's based on the Bible, and there's certain parts of the stories that, that leads up to climaxes where it is a biblical moment. And if you have any questions about it, because I know a lot of you are watching it, uh, so we, we want to make sure that you get those questions answered, and we want to make sure that you go to the Bible yourself, right? Because that's the story of Christ. So today, I want to talk with you about this. He chose you to deliver. He chose you to deliver. He wants you delivered. He wants a new life for you. You see, God made a way for you to leave your life of brokenness, imprisonment, a life of entrapment, and a life of pain to a new life. He made a way for that. You're called to a new life. You're called to a life of freedom, a life of hope, a life of peace, a life of wholeness, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of health, a life of true friendship, a life of true love and intimacy in your life, a life even of adventure. He called you out of a life into a new life, and he wants you to live that new life. Amen? You see, God chose you to deliver. He chose you to deliver. He wants you to have that new life. You see, this is a theme all throughout the Bible, starting way back in, in Exodus. That's the second book in the Bible. The Israelites were, were slaves in Egypt. And this was the theme of that, God bringing them out of that slavery into their own place to live, into their own life. That was, that was the theme of it. You see, God delivered the Israelites. He pried them out of the hand of Pharaoh. He used the plagues. You've heard of the ten plagues. This is the story about that. God used those plagues to pry his people out of the hand of Pharaoh. And finally, Pharaoh sent them out because the pain of holding on to the Israelites was more than the pain of losing the Israelites. God delivered two million people at one time out of the hand of Pharaoh and brought them out of Egypt. It's called the Exodus. That's why we have that book in the Bible. And listen, you need to know that God is still prying people out of the enemy's hands today. And he wants to pry you out of the enemy's hands today. He's still delivering people that want to follow him. He's still delivering people that want to love him. And he will do it for you. God chose you to deliver. And you need to know this, that God has given you all you need to be delivered today. You don't have to wait for some big exodus you don't have to wait for some great revival to start sweeping across the nation for you to finally be delivered. You can have it today. You can start that journey with him today. A new life that burgeons for you to embrace it. A new life in Christ. 
You don't have to wait for it. You can start it today. Well, you say, well, John, I've been a Christian for a long time, six months or or 10 years, and I still am struggling with this, this addiction, or I'm still struggling to feel like I'm free. And you say, I don't understand. What are you talking about, John? If God wants me to be delivered, why hasn't he just done that? Well, so let's get a little real today, and let me ask you some questions. You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest with yourself about the answer to these questions. How many times a week do you read God's word? And I'm not talking about just, oh, I got a scripture. I'm talking about reading at least, you know, enough. Here's, here's what we read to. We read until we receive. Until you get something that sticks with you that morning or that afternoon. How many times a week do you read God's word? And here's another question. How many times a week are you praying? How many times a day are you praying? Well, I pray for that parking spot all the time. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about praying to have a relationship. Praying until you've prayed. Praying to talk with him and let him talk with you. How much are you meditating? Let him, speaking to you, let him speak to you, right? When you read God's word, he's speaking to you. But there's also that still small voice that you can talk to him and he can talk to you. How much are you spending time, just taking time to actually pray until you've connected to him? And here's another question. How often are you coming to church? Once a month? Two times a month? Three times a month? How often? You say, well, John, I've been a Christian for a long time and my life just hasn't changed. I've not been set free. I'm still dealing with all the stuff. Answer the question seriously and honestly, because this is where the problem lies. Not spending time with God and not spending time with his people. If you truly want to change, you're going to start reading God's word and you're going to start doing the things that actually makes a difference in your life. The Center for Bible Engagement published a paper based on research that they did, and it involved 40,000 people. Pretty extensive, right? From the ages of 8 to 80. And they scientifically surveyed them to see how a life of reading the Bible could possibly help them and, and change them and the, the, the effects of going to church and living a lifestyle of a believer. In this study, for instance, they found that if you attend church just one time each month, that the risk of you engaging in a sinful behavior, a serious sinful behavior, decreases from 78% down to 57%. That's pretty good, isn't it? Just one time a month. Imagine if you came six or eight times a month. And they found this, that if a Christian prays, just one time each day, that the risk of engaging in a serious sinful behavior decreases from 78% down to 65%. I like that. Just praying one time a day. And they looked at the numbers to see about people reading the Bible and how this affects them as well. The Christian who reads the Bible zero to one time per week they're at risk, 77% risk that you will engage in some sort of a serious sinful behavior. The Christian who reads two to three times a week, they're at 58% risk that they would engage in such, such behavior. 
So two to three times a week as opposed to zero to one, huge drop from 77 down to 58, right? And then they looked at this, and the Christian that reads their Bible four times a week, that number drops all the way down to 44% that you might engage in something that is destructive to your family, to your, your lifestyle, the ability for you to live a good and healthy life. Isn't that interesting? Reading the Bible four times a week can significantly affect your ability to live a better life. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. Imagine if you read five times a week, six times a week, life would be different, wouldn't it? And here's what they said in this study. Without a firm grasp of the Bible, nurtured through daily reading or, or listening, we weaken our ability to defend the faith we claim. Le look at the effects of this. We weaken our ability to defend the faith we claim. Well, John, I don't know what to say when they come against me. They ask me, why do I believe? I don't know. Well, maybe you should read about it. Right? So we lose the ability to defend the faith we claim. We're less confident to share the faith we have with others and more vulnerable to fall prey to false teachings. So when we hear something that someone is teaching, we'll just buy into it without knowing that it's the word of God or not. And here's what they also found. You see, more scripture engagement also produces a Christian who is more involved in doing the good that God called us to do. So look what they found. Those who read or listen to the Bible at least four days a week have higher odds of participating in these behaviors. First, sharing their faith with others. That goes up 228%. Isn't that awesome? Dis discipling others goes up 231%. You have higher odds to disciple others. That means, oh, I know what Jesus likes. I know what Jesus doesn't like. And I can help others grow in Christ. That goes up 231%. Memorizing scripture, 407%. If you start reading the Bible just four times a week. That's awesome. So besides, listen, besides his spirit living in you. And besides his spirit empowering you. His Bible, this book, hand me my Bible, where is it? <laughs> this book is the greatest tool besides the spirit living in you and empowering you. This book gives you the power to overcome and live a life of godliness. Well, John, I've been a Christian for a long time and I just can't get rid of this stuff. How much have you been reading? Well, do you really want to get free? One person does. My dad. Do you want to be free? Do you want to live a life that says, wow, a new life in Christ? The evidence is in. God chose you. God chose you to deliver. To bring you out of that old life. So our clip today comes from when Jesus was beginning to go public with his ministry. And of all the verses in the Old Testament, Jesus chose the perfect one to declare his intentions. He wanted us to know what he intended to do. And this was at the beginning of his ministry. He had, he had come out of the wilderness where he had been tempted and he came home to Nazareth and he goes into the temple. And I just want to, it's a little bit longer than we've shown before, so... Relax. It's a great, great clip. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And uh, so anyway, let's watch. 
the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The fulfillment of this scripture, as you have heard it, is today. This is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a year of jubilee, a year of the poor, the brokenhearted, the captive, and the blind are offered redemption. Here, now. You're with you. Keep going. Not bad for a carpenter's son, yes? <laughs> I mean, especially Joseph. May he rest in peace. Jesus, please explain why you stopped the reading before Isaiah spoke of the day of vengeance of our God, especially during a time of such oppression. The day of vengeance is in the future. I'm not here for vengeance. I'm here for salvation. You're here for salvation? What are you saying? You know what I'm saying. This year of Jubilee, this year of the Lord's favor, is not about release from financial debts. I'm here to provide release from spiritual debt. We're the chosen seed of Abraham. We don't have spiritual debt. Jesus. Yes, sir. We've been hearing about the signs and wonders. And now this? Are you claiming to be more than a rabbi? More than even the baptizer? No doubt one of you will quote me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself. The things we heard you did in Capernaum and in Syria, do here in your hometown. Yes? Why not? I get it. It's always easier to accept hard truths and even greatness from strangers than from those you know well, especially those you knew as awkward teenagers or even as adults, as some of you saw earlier today. Last year would make her a more believable prophet. But this brings up an important truth. No prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Be careful with what you call yourself. This should be easy to prove. Dinah and Rafi, you say you saw it, yes? Yes. Yes, we saw it, but... He did not claim this. A true prophet from Adonai would not deny his own people signs and wonders. 
Listen carefully. When a great famine hit Israel during the days of Elijah, three years and six months, there were many widows, yes? And we know how the Father cares for his chosen people, especially widows. But Elijah was sent to none of them, not a one. Instead, he was sent to a widow in Sidon, in Zarephath, a Gentile woman. Martha, what happened? She gave up her last flour and oil for one more cake and gave it to Elijah. Why would she do that? Elijah told her the Lord said to do so. Yes. The Lord said that he would make it so that her flour and oil would never run out. And she believed. A pagan Gentile in a pagan land. And she was hungry enough to know she needed God and to obey him. And so God sent Elijah to multiply her food forever. What about Elisha and Naaman? There were many lepers in Israel during this time. None of them were cleansed except Naaman. Only a Gentile, a Syrian soldier, an enemy of the Lord's people. But he was so desperate he trusted Elisha, and his leprosy was cleansed. You may be the chosen seed of Abraham. You may be the people of the covenants, but that will not bring you my salvation. If you cannot accept that you are spiritually poor and captive in the same way that a Gentile woman and a Syrian leper recognized their need. If you do not realize that you need a year of the Lord's favor, then I cannot save you. Who do you think you are? This is what Hannah talked about. That he even called himself the Messiah. Are you claiming to be the Messiah? Or are you merely claiming to speak for the Lord as a prophet? Yes. Jesus was intense, wasn't he? He absolutely was, and he is, and he's intense about things of life, how serious it is in your life. And the beauty of this story is to understand that he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for everybody, and that includes you. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be delivered. He wants you to be delivered from that life without him into a new life. And he's serious about it. And nobody's going to keep that from you but you. Jesus 
began with today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he read this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 61. He said, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then back in Isaiah, this is what I'm reading from. This is where he, he, he got this scripture from. And the day of vengeance of our God to, com- to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness. A planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. God wants you to be a display of His splendor. God wants your life to come into a place where you're beautiful. And and He's able to show the world that your life is beautiful because of Him. Even though trial comes, even though difficult times come, even though death happens in your life, you will be a display of his splendor in your life. Isn't that beautiful? That's what God wants. That was why, that is why Jesus came. And if you've yet to experience that kind of deliverance in your life, why are you not reading the Bible? Why are you not participating in the kingdom of God like you can be participating? Because that's where deliverance happens. Growing in that lifestyle of Christ. That's where it happens. And after reading that passage, everybody was shocked because Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. Guess what happened? It was, it was kind of like Moses showing up to the Israelites and saying, God sent me to tell you that he's going to deliver you and I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be his spokesperson. I'm going to bring deliverance to you. Remember when Moses showed up and the people were like, well, who are you? Who do you think you are? Right. And that's what happened that day. Who do you think you are, Jesus? The Messiah? Yes, I am. So Jesus shows up. And, and, and what's funny is the people had actually been singing songs about the Messiah coming that day. They were excited that the Messiah might come. And then he stands up right in their presence and says, here I am. And you know what they did? They grabbed him. And they dragged him out to the edge of the city where there was a cliff. And they were going to throw him over the cliff right after that. They were going to try. And it reads miraculous. I don't like the way they show it in The Chosen. Because it reads more miraculous than what they showed. Somehow Jesus just walked out. He just walked out. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm, this is not my time. I'm not, I'm not going to die this way. Pretty awesome. You know, Moses had a showdown with Pharaoh and Jesus had a showdown with death, right? And he won so that you could be delivered. You know, what's interesting also, the people that dragged him out, going to throw him off the cliff, they knew the ancient text. They knew it by heart. The Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They studied and studied it. 
But what did they miss? They missed knowing God. And you can read this all day long. Study and study and study. But if you don't read it to know God, you're no different than them. Because when God actually showed up, they didn't recognize Him. And if they had been reading this to know who He was, they would have suddenly realized, oh my goodness, it's God. He showed up. Paul was writing to a young pastor named Timothy. First and second Timothy in the New Testament were written by Paul to this young pastor. And he was telling him how he was telling him some things that, that would, we would see in the last days. How many of you know we're living in the last days? I think it's pretty obvious, right? And, and people don't normally read this passage and say, all right, he was writing this, saying this is what people in the church would look like. But if you read the context of this passage that I'm about to read to you, he was talking about what people in the church would be like. Let me read it to you. It's pretty scary. He said this, Timothy, mark this, but mark this. In other words, this is sure to happen. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. He's talking about people in the church. Now, everybody knows this is what the world is like. And everybody here knows it's not Relate Church, right? But Paul is talking about people in the church here. What is he talking about? He's talking about people that never made the transformation. They never did what it took to grow in their relationship with God and with each other. They didn't find deliverance in their lives. They kept that old life and they continued to live the way that they've always lived. Continued to think the way they always thought. And they never made the transformation into life. And they wondered, man, why did I even accept Jesus into my life at any point? Because it never made a difference. And I'm telling you, when you begin to read the Bible and when you begin to apply all of these things to your life, that's when life change happens. And it's for you. It's for you. He chose you to deliver. And you don't have to be the same that you've always been. He didn't choose you to leave you in Egypt. He didn't choose you to leave you unchanged. He chose you to give you a new life. A new person. When the Israelites were on their journey to the promised land... God gave them some bread to eat. Anybody remember what that was called? Manna. Do you know what manna means? What is it? I knew Dana would know that. They looked at it and were like, what is it? I don't know. Let's call it manna. That's what it means. What is it? You see, God provided them manna and it was perfect, perfect protein. It was perfect everything for their bodies to be sustained. It was awesome. Eventually, he gave them some, some uh, birds as well, right? Some quail. Because the people complained. But it was perfect sustenance. 
Wouldn't it be great if you just had something that you could eat every day and it would just keep your body in perfect health? That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Like McDonald's or something, right? So every morning this stuff fell to the ground and they would go out and they would pick it up and blow it off and they would eat it. And, and it was just perfect for their bodies to be healthy and strong. And now imagine the Israelites, I would imagine that this happened. I don't have, there's no scripture that, that, that shows this, but I would imagine somebody was like, ah, I don't want to eat that stuff. I'm going to make my own stuff. I'm going to concoct my own meal for the day. And, and don't you know that if that was the case, if they didn't eat God's food that God provided in a healthy way, that they were probably the unhealthy ones in the community? Just makes sense, doesn't it? You know, and in the same way, the people who claim to have God in their life, but hold on to their old lifestyle, holding on to an addiction, when I ask them about their relationship with God, here's what they say. They say, you know what, God and me, we have our own situation. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I've got my own arrangement with God. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said it? Don't raise your hand. Here's the truth. When we think that we're making up our own God. And we're eating food, spiritual food that isn't from God. And we're not going to be healthy. And we have to eat the food that God gave us in order for us to be properly nurtured and have the right nutrition for us to grow up spiritually. And if you want to leave that life, that former life, the former way of doing things, the, the things that are destroying you, the things that are destroying your relationships, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your parents, whatever it is, anything that's destroying those relationships, if you want to leave that behind, it's time to begin to eat the food that God has provided because it's perfectly nutritious for your life. And you'll have good relationships. You'll have healthy life. And listen, I'm not telling you your life is going to be easy. Y'all know me. My life has not been easy. But I am telling you that you can smile and you can have joy in the midst of the biggest struggles and problems in your life. And know that everything is going to work out and be okay. Because you're called according to his purpose. And it's all a part of that. What if you started eating the word of God every day of your life? It's his manna. What if you started? Well, John, I don't know where to start. Start with the book of John, because that's my name. <laughs> no, it's better than that. I tell you that because that's. That's a good place to start to get to know who Jesus is. And read for that perspective. Who is Jesus? How can I have a relationship with him? What does Jesus like? What doesn't Jesus like? What does Jesus do? And how can I begin to live a life like he wants me to live? Begin there. Start there. You see, you can't look at it like... Reading a scripture is like taking a pill. You can't look at it like that. A pill goes into your body and it's chemistry, right? Your body has to respond. Your body has to react to it. The word of God is different than that. The word of God is relational. It's not like taking a pill. 
You've got to read it from the perspective of this is going to tell me what God likes. This is going to tell me what he doesn't like. And I'm going to get to know who he is and I'm going to begin to accommodate for him living in my life. Imagine if there were a pill that you could give your husband that suddenly poof, he'd be a perfect husband. Or your wife, wouldn't that be great? You know, if you could give your husband a pill that, that suddenly he would be somebody that would be the, the great romantic and great lover that you want him to be. He would also be a great cook. He would be somebody that could clean the kitchen. And he'd get up and he'd take out the trash without you ever asking him to take out the trash. And you could sit down and just watch him do all of this stuff while you get fat and sassy and never... <laughs> And he would never notice it, right? Because, because you gave him this pill and he's perfect. I'm in trouble, aren't I? Imagine, guys, if you could give her a pill and suddenly she'd be this woman that spices up the marriage and makes it happy and fun and wonderful. And, 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 and she would also, well, never mind. That's all you need, right, guys? You see, there's no pill that's ever going to do that in your relationship with your spouse. And this is not a pill that you can take that's going to do that in your relationship with God. You've got to get to know who he is, what he likes and what he doesn't like and begin to accommodate for that. And that's what it is. And that's what the Jews completely missed. And they're sitting, this is for us. This is all for us. We deserve it. No, God, God had the whole world in mind. Everybody in mind. What if you had the wisdom to write a book that told the story of your life? Everything you like in your life and everything you don't like in your life. And it was a story about all your relationships, all your past relationships, your friendships, your co-workers, and how you interacted with them and your romantic relationships and all of the things that could you could hand this book to your spouse and say, if you read this book, this is the book that will allow you to be very close to me, very intimate with me. And we will have a wonderful relationship because you take the time to actually read this book. It's the story of my life and it's everything you need to know to have that great relationship. And all they have to do is read the book. All they have to do is hear it and let it sink in and get to know you and begin to accommodate for that. And they would have that great relationship and it would change everything in their life with you. You see, that's what God has done. He wrote a book that says, this is my history. This is my diary. This is what it takes to get to know me. And I give it to you so that you can do that. On a daily basis and get to know how I want to interact in your life. It's the Bible. And it's not as hard as you might think it is. got to start with it though. You see some only read the Bible to find out how good their day is going to be. Like it's some kind of, you know, genie, genie, genie. Come out, genie. Well, okay, it's not going to happen. Oh, that's context. That's not... And we hope that our finger lands on something that is magical for our day. James David, would you come? You see, when you sit down to read this book at least four times a week, at least. You read it with the intent of getting to know who he is. 
what he likes and what he doesn't like and what he does so that you can do it too. It's a relationship. And here's the promise. Your life will be changed. John, I've been a a Christian for years. (laughs) How often do you read it? How often do you do the big three things? Show up at church, pray, and read His Word. If you really want your life to be changed, those are the ingredients. A true relationship with God. Jeremiah wrote this, Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. The author of Hebrews wrote this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It penetrates and goes deep. God's word will do that and get to the deep parts of your life that need to be changed. The parts of your life that you can't forget. The parts of your life that you want to forget. God can get there with the word and bring healing. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 4. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he said in John 6, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The apostle Peter wrote this, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. He says, long, long to know the basics of the kingdom, right? And then he talks about growing into maturity and and getting deeper in it. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 10. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You want faith? Hear the word of Christ. 2 Timothy 2, he said, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then he wrote to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. What's he saying? The word of God will equip you and complete you and take you into a new life. And if you need help reading this, if you need help understanding it, that's why I'm here. And there is more of this at your fingertips today than ever in the history of the world. There's apps for it. There's all kinds of stuff to help you grow in God's kingdom and in God's word. And you have my phone number. You can text me at any time. And I don't know if I'll get back to you at any time. But I will get back to you. And I love to answer the questions about this book. He came and he chose you to deliver. 
He chose you to deliver. And you have a new life in Christ. Have you begun to live it yet? Would you bow your heads? Has your life changed since you came to Jesus? And even more important, do you want your life to change? Do you want freedom? Do you want health? Do you want better relationships? Do you want deliverance? Do you want to forget the things that hurt? And more importantly, do you want to put those things to work for God's kingdom? Forgetting the pain of it, that is, and putting them into a place of purpose in your life. The things that happened to you when you were a kid or teenager, the stupid mistakes that you made, all of it, God can say, you know what, I have new life for you. I have a better life for you. Today, before you leave, make a commitment to God. God, I want to get to know you more. And I commit myself to you today to come closer to you. I want to get to know you. And I pray, Father, that you would help me, tutor me while I read your word this week. That when I pick it up and I start reading it, that you will begin to speak to me. That you will help me to read until something penetrates inside of me that I can go and do, that I can live different, that I can think different. I ask for your spirit to tutor me in Jesus' name. And I commit myself, God, to prayer. I commit myself to the people of God. I commit myself to the work of God, to do what you've called me to do. And God, step by step, I I know that I'm going to see my life change and be different. Because Jesus came to deliver me. And I accept that today. Maybe you're here today and you need to accept Christ into your heart. You haven't done that yet. Or maybe you walked away from him. Today's the day to do that. Just say, God, thank you so much for your forgiveness for my sins. Thank you for washing me. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know what you like, what you don't like who you are and what you do. And I want to accommodate for you living in my life. I want that relationship with you. So today I make you my God, my Lord, my Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity. If you accepted Christ into your life today, just want to give you that opportunity to say, John, that was me. I made that decision today. Right where you're at, I just want you to look up at me until my eyes catch yours, if that was you. All right. All right. Amen. Amen.